Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Well, it's Thanksgiving here in the United States. And uh, for those of you who are celebrating Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving. Hello, happy Thanksgiving. We thought we would do something a little bit different this Thanksgiving. And um, I don't know how it's going to go. It could be ugly. But we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. We thought since today in the States, a lot of us are putting together our holiday meals. We're sharing time with families. We thought what better topic to compile than cannibalism. So we went over our almost 500 episode catalog of Box of Oddities episodes, uh, nearly a thousand topics. And selected 10 of our favorite cannibal episodes. We call it the Cat and Jethro Cannibal Collection, just in time for the holidays. And this is going to be kind of different in the sense that uh, you may have noticed it showed up on your device. There are two volumes. There are two episodes today. Uh, probably they're going to run somewhere around an hour apiece, so that's two hours. You could listen to these while you prepare your Thanksgiving meal, and that's what we're doing. Unless, of course... You don't want to hear about cannibalism, in which case, these aren't going to be great for you. Happy Thanksgiving. So right now, we're going to peel potatoes. And while we're doing that, uh, what's our first story? We're going to start off with a tried and true classic about a man making the best of a bad situation. You might want to take a moment before I get into this first story to take a couple of deep breaths. Okay. Find a comfortable position okay. to be in. Sure. This might make you a little uh, uncomfortable. It might even make some people queasy. Oh, really? Okay. Probably not. But, you know, I'm just laying it out there. I want to, full disclosure, this is fucking awful. Okay. okay. I mean, it is and it isn't. I'll, I'll let you decide. So it was July 2016. It was a nice day for a bike ride. Okay. You know, this, mm-hmm. this guy thought until a car hit him. Oh, no. Hit his bike and sent him flying into the uh, forest. 
along the side of the road that he was riding his bike. Sure. Now, the guy, he wants to remain anonymous. He's a Reddit user, and his Reddit username is Incredibly Shiny Shart. You know, you can pay money to buy pills for that. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Or just eat more fiber. That'll make it shinier? I don't know about that at all. No, it'll make it less shiny. I thought you were saying buy pills to reduce the Oh, no, shininess. you can buy glitter pills to make the shiny oh, yeah. in the in the poopies. Yeah, no, I know. You can actually buy gold. So right. you can poop gold. That's why I was saying you could buy the pills. Okay. I thought you meant to solve his shiny shark problem. No, to increase the shininess of his shark. Okay. So he told this story on Reddit, and I am going to quote heavily from Vice Magazine's interview with Incredibly Shiny Shark. Okay. So he wanted to remain anonymous. That means he's shy. So he's a shy, incredibly he, shiny shark. It's very difficult to say. Incredibly shiny, shy shark. So again, Vice Magazine. Got Got it. He said, I remember flying through the air after I was hit. I remember getting hit. I remember flying through the air. I remember sitting in the forest and taking off my helmet and feeling this burning pain. Ooh. And as a, as a motorcyclist, I, I think it was just a regular bike that he was on. But as a motorcyclist, uh-huh. that is our worst nightmare. I think is, that's an exaggeration, though, to call you a motorcyclist. Well, I like riding motorcycles. That is true. I have ridden them. But I, you no longer have a motorcycle. No, no, I don't. I had to sell my Harley. But oh, you sound so sad. I am sad. <laughs> I'll get another one one day. <laughs> so he's sitting there. He takes off his helmet. He feels this awful pain in his, in his well, all over, but his leg in particular. And he said he looked down and his foot was just kind of like hanging off. Yeah. He had, he had broken right above the ankle. And it was pretty mangled. Actually, he didn't break it. The car that hit him broke it. (laughs) Sure. Or perhaps the ground. I don't know. Do you mind if I interrupt briefly? Never do I mind that. One of the things that I was learning about, I can't remember if it was a TED Talk or something along those lines, was about how different the English language is from other languages and how in many languages, if you were to say he broke his arm, Uh they would think you were insane because that's to to an to a natural speaker of a different language it would sound like that person took their arm and and broke and it. broke it so how would people that spoke other languages um, interpret incredibly shiny shard interesting question I thought so well the the verb goes <laughs> after that <laughs> stop it okay go ahead. so he looked down and his foot was just hanging there sure, it was floppy pretty style yep it was pretty mangled and dirty and dangly. He was really grateful, though, and I love this guy's attitude. He was really grateful because the accident happened in a place where there were people Mm -hmm. around besides the guy that hit him. And a young woman showed up uh, who had just graduated high school, but she put a tourniquet on his leg. She had just taken a first aid course. So kind of a happy coincidence Absolutely. there. So I'm t- I'm to understand that the guy who hit him just continued driving? No, it doesn't say. I, oh, okay. I imagine he pulled over. Okay. I'm, I'm giving him that benefit. Okay. And he said he was also lucky, too, because an off-duty paramedic showed up within just a, a few minutes. He happened to be right in the area. He said so many things that happened, happened in the best possible way. And he didn't really have any other injuries, any any serious injuries other than his foot was dangly. The old dangly foot. A little cut on the back of his neck. Other than that, he said, uh, you know, he was he was pretty unharmed. Later, he went back to the um, 
the scene of the accident. And like I said, it was it was a forest and he could not believe that when he was hit, he I mean, he was thrown through the air Mm. and went between all of these trees. It was like he kind of curved around trees and landed in the forest. He was incredibly grateful that it was only his foot. He said he was going about 45 miles per hour when he uh, when he flipped over. That's wicked fast. He said that uh, it was a pivotal point in his life because he's a middle-aged white boy and never had to really work for anything. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure, sure. (laughs) Um, And so this was, he knew was going to be a challenge trying to rehabilitate from such a uh, a serious um, injury. He was really grateful with the outpouring of compassion. People were really helpful and really loving. It helped him take on the biggest challenge of his life. He said he remembered waking up in the hospital uh, many times and just just crying. I mean, the pain was was so great, wondering what his life was going to be like and discussing the options with his doctor. He obviously wanted to save his foot. Mm. The doctors weren't so sure that was going to be able to to take place. Um, they said a lot of your bones are just powder in your foot. We should take the leg or at least right above the uh, the ankle, mid-shin. So after a while, he started to realize that there was really not much that could be done for his foot. So when the doctor asked him again, we need to amputate this. Can we amp- Do we have your permission to amputate your leg? And he said, fine, but can I keep it? And the doctor said, yes, that's unusual, but Sure, there are no laws against that. Most hospitals have policies that uh, will actually release your body parts. Really? To you. That's excellent. Because I would imagine after, I mean, I would imagine that the policy would say, like, after it leaves your body, it's like biohazard or something. Well, most states, there are some exceptions, but most states Mm -hmm. here in the U.S., to allow for that. That's great. As long as it is not diseased in any way. Oh, that makes sense. Sure. Makes perfect sense. Okay. So the doctor said, yeah, you know, I guess you can have that. And so he just signed some paperwork. And I um, know what this story is. I know what this story is. Don't ruin it. He, I'm building up to the big reveal. I know, I know. I'm, I, know, I'm, I, I, know. I know probably a lot of people already know this, but for those who don't, okay, don't don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. Here we go. So his mom helped him get back on his feet, so yeah, to yeah. speak, or back on his foot sure. after the uh, amputation, and she drove him back to the hospital to pick up his leg. He got to the hospital. He got inside. The hospital gave him his foot in a uh, in like a, one of those red plastic biohazard bags. Mm-hmm. So he took it out to the car and he threw it in like an igloo cooler. Sure, sure, <laughs> you sure. know, he had like beers in there and stuff. No, I don't know what he had in there. Probably nothing. He said it was uh, it was pretty surreal, pretty bizarre, kind of a weird morning. I I imagine. Mm-hmm. I I don't know how. I, I think I would get really squeamish. Of knowing, course you would. Well, I get squeamish when I get a hangnail. Yeah. But the idea of going to the hospital, first of all, requesting that I get my leg back, going yeah. to the hospital and and actually holding it in my hand. Yeah. And it's all like dangly and crushed like a tube sock full of sand. Sorry, I got real poetic there for a moment. Yeah. I just think about like you would see it differently. And uh, so, like my first thought is I would really be focused on like, 
how little I got pedicures and how <laughs> I should have had that ingrown nail taken care sure, of and right, right. bunions. Yeah. Well, Ugh. in that case, as far as my foot goes, yeah. I would just say incinerate it. You know, <laughs> I didn't Your really. Your feet are fine. I did not keep up with the pedicures and yeah, just burn it. That would be my Yours, thought. Your feet are fine. So he didn't even know what he wanted to do with his leg. It was just the idea of it being part of him and just being destroyed in the incinerator mm-hmm. and not having any kind of memorial service for it or, or whatever. Sure. Like Stonewall Jackson's arm. There's a monument for Stonewall Jackson's arm, the Confederate general. Just his arm. They buried it. Gave it a... Okay, I'm getting all Civil War geeky. Never mind. So he, he thought maybe, well, he'd have it taxidermied. You know, cool, cool. yeah, maybe make a nice <laughs> door mantle. Yeah. Doorstop. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> that's actually seriously what he was thinking or having it freeze dried. How cool would it be? He said, according to vice to have my freeze dried or taxidermied foot standing around the house as a lamp or a doorstop. I'm thinking like the lamp from a Christmas story. Sure. Fragile. He said, nobody's going to cremate my leg or chuck it in a landfill. Mm. That's part of me. I want it back. So he got back to the, his place, and until he figured out what he wanted to do with it, he, he put it in the freezer. Makes sense. Next to the haagen and the Hot Pockets. And he starts researching what his options would be. He found out that he couldn't find a taxidermist to take him seriously. Mm. They were like, mm, no, no, you're, you're crazy, and no. And freeze-drying, it was too expensive. They found, he found somebody that would freeze-dry his leg, but it would be $1,200 to do. Okay. If he he said if he had the money, that's what he would have done. So what he did was he decided to cast his foot in plaster to memorialize it and use it as a as a doorstop. He also oh he also captured a three D rendering of it so he could quote make little keychains. Oh, that's fun. I love that idea very much. When he got back to the house with the foot, he took it out and it was really gross. He said it was covered in blood and iodine. Just, you know, I mean, it, you know, sure. uh, after he cleaned it off, he said he was pleasantly surprised by how well preserved it was. Not that it had been preserved with formaldehyde or anything like that. Just that it was just a recently hacked off foot. Right. And then he tucked it in the freezer, like I said, and started thinking about what he wanted to do with it. Sure. Then he started thinking about one night where he had a bunch of friends over and they were sitting around discussing deep philosophical questions of life. And one of the questions was... If you could taste human flesh in an ethical way, would you? Mm-hmm. So on Sunday, July 10th, 2016, about three weeks after the accident, incredibly shiny Shart invited 10 of his most open-minded friends to a special brunch. They ate strudel, quiche puff pastries, fruit tarts, and chocolate cake. They drank gin lemonade, punches, and mimosas. And then the main course... Fajita tacos made with shiny severed human limb. I yep. love that it was tacos. He yeah. chose tacos he chose for tacos. his foot meat. That's what I would do, too. I, I think so, too. Absolutely. Go think, for the fajita tacos. Well, I think it would be necessary to try it unseasoned also. 
um, you know, just a but cooked, but cooked, but, of course, okay. I'm not a monster cooked human flesh and then and then put it in the taco. And so then, just so, sure. so that I would have a understanding of the flavor. I mean, you should know the flavor of every ingredient individually before you add it to a meal. You're watching way too much chopped. That'd be a great episode, wouldn't it? <laughs> Here are your ingredients. Durian. Quail's egg. Pickled beets. And biker's foot. 20 minutes on the clock. Go. Ted would love that. (laughs) So you're probably thinking, that's not legal. Well, in the U.S., there is no federal law banning cannibalism. Idaho is the only state in which uh, the simple act of eating human flesh can lead you to go to prison. There are laws, of course, for murder and buying and selling human meat. You can't buy it, but you can eat it. Corpse, desecration, of course. Mm -hmm. And so that makes cannibalism challenging. Right, yeah. You got to do it the right way. But it's technically legal in 49 states. It's very rare for somebody to consent to be eaten Mm. and then meet somebody, you know, who wants to. But even that situation raises all kinds of, you know, ethical questions. You remember that Belgian guy, um, Detloff Gunzel? The guy who ate the lady? No, no. He was sentenced to eight and a half years in prison for butchering and eating um, a Polish businessman who gave his consent. He had put a um, oh, yes. an ad in the paper. That's right, yeah. That's a whole different story. Well, there was a, also, I think, an American, the the guy who um, met a woman online, and the woman was the aggressor. She was the one who wanted to be eaten. Uh-huh. And uh, she had allegedly... Allegedly. ...asked him to, to kill her and eat her. Okay. And... She didn't just say, eat me? Uh, right now. Okay. No, there was the... The killing had to happen for... First. You got to be careful who you say that to. For sure. Yeah. No. And those are different situations. This is interesting for sure, because yeah. I am surprised that 10 of his friends got on board with this. Well, he invited 11. Okay. Somebody said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Did they come to the event or just or just opt out of the event altogether? Because uh, I think that would be interesting, too, to see yeah. who would show up but not eat it. I'm not sure. He said when he invited his friends, he said, hey. Remember that time that, uh, you know, we sat around talking about if we ever had a chance to ethically eat human meat, would we do it? Well, I'm calling you on that. Uh, we're, are we doing this or what? And so 10 said yes. He said, I have weird friends. He said there were several different friend groups involved. He approached one with the idea and they were like, totally, because how often are you going to get that chance? One friend said she'd uh, she should ask her boyfriend first. Oh, interesting. (laughs) That is that presents all kinds of interesting questions. It's not dick meat. No, it's not dick meat. (laughs) And even if it was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. My boyfriend doesn't want me eating your foot. <laughs> and he asked a chef, and the chef said not only would he he would eat it, but he would cook it for them. Oh, that's nice. I was going to ask about that. He told the chef the idea, and the chef thought about it for a couple of uh, days, and then he said, quote, okay, let's do this. I'm going to prepare it. You guys just come over tomorrow. So they did it at the chef's house. Okay. He marinated it overnight and sauteed it with onions and pepper and salt and pepper and lime juice. Oh, that sounds good. And he served it on corn tortillas with uh, tomatillo sauce. 
He said, we sat there with queasy anticipation. I bet. We all kind of looked at each other and said, are we, are we really, are we doing this? And I think a lot of his friends probably thought he was calling his, calling their bluff, that he was pranking them or something. Sure. uh, Yeah. I wonder if when he brought them out, they were all sizzly on the platter, like when you're at Applebee's or someplace like that. The steam is just coming right off it. Right. And then your clothes smell like your neighbor's food for like a day. Remember that happening to us all the time? That would be a bizarre feeling to like go home and take your clothes off. And then the next day you're walking by your pile of laundry and you're like, oh, man, that smells like Joe's foot tacos. That smells like incredibly shiny shark's foot. So what did it taste like? He said people think that it tastes like pork. That's the the common misconception because of the term long pig from cannibals in your hometown of Papua New Guinea where they uh, where they eat wild boar. But they're not eating our kind of pigs. Our kind of pigs are just, you know, big overfed fat Right. Pigs. These Factory. are domesticated. Yeah. They're more white meat. Boars don't have white meat. He said, I remember eating a heritage boar and it was some of the reddest, most flavorful meat I'd ever eaten. It was almost like venison. And so I would say it was more like that. My foot tasted like venison or buffalo. Interesting. Yeah. I've never had either of those. No, me neither. Well, I think well, I, I had, had venison. deer ones yeah, I had in venison. a chili yeah. 20 plus years ago. <laughs> he said... This particular cut was super, super beefy. It had a very pronounced beefy flavor to it. The muscle that he cut was tough and chewy. He said it tasted good, but the experience wasn't the best. Oh, no. Well, you know, you know what you're eating. Because he had uh, taken the back muscle off the back of his leg, like the calf muscle. So they did take it up like... About halfway. Okay. About halfway up. He said his friends are all kind of strange and very dark humor, which is probably the best way to, to, to approach a situation like this. He said we were cracking jokes the whole time. At one point I said, well, today was the day I was inside of 10 of my friends at once. <laughs> and the next day he said a buddy of his called him up and said, hey, uh, I just I just shit you out. Sorry. He said overall it was kind of a bonding experience. It was like taking communion. We could share this unique experience together, and it was a way for me to kind of close the lid on that part of my life. He said since then, things really worked out well for him. His life has taken on a whole different meaning. He was working in a job he really didn't like at the time. He felt trapped in a situation, but after the accident and after the situation, And it it did take him a while to get comfortable with it, but he's moved on to a new community, has a new job, and uh, he says that his life is so much better now. He was able to put closure on it because of this. And he said, what I did technically is not illegal. I didn't sell it. I didn't give it to people without their consent. It was mine. We couldn't find any real laws against it. He said, so I'm not worried about the legal stuff. It's just that it's so fucking weird. I don't want people to know <laughs> that that I did this. Oh, I, I get that, that makes me sad. I, but I get that. It's certainly, I don't. it's not social norm to eat your foot and feed it to your friends. Well, no, but everyone was consenting and they, you I'm know. I'm not criticizing them. I know. I'm not saying that you or, are. Or judging them. What I'm saying is I get it. Why he probably wouldn't want his boss to know this or his co-workers maybe. I don't know. Because there are people who would judge him. So is this real? Did this really happen? 
Well, according to Snopes, I looked this up. While the idea of retaining an amputated limb is offbeat, medical professionals say that it is not unheard of. This is not common practice in our facility, said Janet Cortez, the trauma program manager at the University of Utah Mm -hmm. Hospital. That being said, if a patient would like to retain their amputated body part, they can fill out a form provided upon request by risk management. Once the form is complete, the patient provides a copy to the pathological department who may release the body part to its owner within two weeks if it is free of disease. Georgia Nass, director of the Center for Health Law, Ethics and Human Rights at Boston University School of Medicine, said the only legitimate reason for health officials to intervene against an amputation patient's request to keep their limb would be a concern over a virus or bacteria sure. in the tissue. Right. Like I know there's the um, the disease that's carried um, by a way of eating human brains. And but even that's only contaminated human brains. I think that's called Kuru. Is yeah, that right? Kuru. Yeah. yeah. I, though I don't think brains would be a good choice as far as meals go. Maybe tacos. Maybe maybe in the tacos. I don't know. Anyway. Again, according to Snopes, there are, however, some restrictions. Georgia, Louisiana and Missouri have laws banning private ownership of body parts. The Native American Graves Protection and uh, Repatriation Act also forbids private trade of Native American remains, of course. They said at Snopes, we were unable to fact check whether the anonymous user's account of eating his limb was legitimate, but it is, at the very least, plausible. An incredibly shiny shark documented the whole process mm-hmm. on film. He has still photos of him taking the leg out of the package, and it shows him in the hospital when he still had the leg. Then it shows the leg he's holding. It's pretty freaking graphic. Vice decided only to show like the recipe section of the whole process where, he, you know, the meat is being cooked up with onions and stuff. But there is a link to go and see all of the photos. Mm -hmm. And I've got to say, in my mind anyway, it looks like he ate his fucking foot. Looks legit. It looks legit. Yep, for sure. In my opinion. Bon appetit. The thing is, probably that discussion they had about whether they were probably all stoned, you know, watching <laughs> watching Silence of the Lambs. Dude, dude, seriously, would you eat my foot? Would you? If you could get away, would you eat my foot? And they're all like, yeah, yeah. And so then he called their bluff. That's a good friend. I would eat human meat. You're a vegetarian. I know, but because of the animals, not because I hate meat. So you'd only eat the meat that came from something you hated, like humanity. No, like you can volunteer your meat. A cow can't volunteer its meat. I get you. That's fine. I don't mind that at all. I don't. That doesn't doesn't bother me even a little. (laughs) <laughs> it's in your jeans. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Yeah, I'm not going to eat you. Sweetie, if you want to, I will put that in my will. If you want to eat me. I wouldn't want to eat you. That just, would make me sad. So just you would want to eat somebody you don't like? No, I wouldn't want to eat someone I don't like. I don't want to eat garbage meat. I don't know if I could bring myself to eat somebody's foot even if I had permission and I ate meat still, I don't think I could. Really? I just, no, I don't think I could. Yeah. 
The thing that I like about that story is that it's very upbeat. Everyone was happy about what was happening. The guy who offered his foot was consenting. Yeah. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this message is sponsored by green light you know as your kids get older there are some things about parenting that gets easier i remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece if you put your pants on i'll give you some fresca and when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right it's a lot easier to manage them Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. As we get further into this episode... It is going to get progressively worse as we go along. We're going to take it up a notch with our next story, The Colorado Cannibal. Alfred Packer was born in January of uh, 1842 in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, one of three children. Uh, by the 1850s, 
He had moved his family to LaGrange County, Indiana, where he worked as a cabinet maker. He served in the Union Army in the American Civil War. He was honorably discharged because uh, he had epilepsy. He then traveled to the Rocky Mountains and worked uh, in mining-related jobs for about nine years or so. Not in catacombs, necessarily, Mm -hmm. but who knows. In November of 1873, according to Wikipedia, Packer joined a guy named Bob McGrew, who had a party of 21 men. And uh, they left Provo, Utah for the gold country around Breckenridge, Colorado. Now... It just sounds like a kicking party, that's all. Yeah, it's it was a kicking party. Want to party with those dudes. It's a sausage party. Ow! Sorry, that got gross. Sorry. So McGrew and his party of 21 men mm. um, needed a uh, an experienced guide to help them through the uh, the mountainous areas. And so they, uh, they hired um, Alfred Packer, an unemployed cabinet maker who had no experience at all. Oh, no. Well, he kind of like conned his way into the job. Oh, sure. sure. There I was don't... no Angie's List then. No, there was no <laughs> Angie's List. So they head out into uh, into the mountains. The idea was they wanted to get to this uh, alleged gold-rich area before anybody else. So they left late in the season. On January 21st in 1874, they met Chief Ure, known as, quote, the white man's friend near uh, Montrose, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Chief Ure recommended that they postpone their expedition until spring because it was late and storm clouds were a-building. Kind of like the Donner Party. Very similar to the Donner Party and uh, not far from where that happened. Well, at least, you know, in the same mountain chain. So Chief Ure allowed the men to stay with his tribe until the winter had uh, passed. But some of the men of the party became restless. They didn't want to hang out. They were afraid... Other explorers, other miners were going to get to this gold before they were going to. And so against uh, Chief Ure's advice, they decided to head out and try to find uh, the government cattle camp near Los Pinos Indian Agency. A guy named O.D. Loschtenheiser and three other men left first. Now, Packer attempted to follow them. He wanted to go, too. Mm -hmm. But Loschtenheiser uh, pointed a revolver at Packer and said uh, if uh, if he saw him again anywhere on the pass that he would uh, there would be as he put it trouble why I guess he just he wanted to take control of that part of the he he wanted more it was all greed is what was what drove this so Packer tucked his tail between his legs and he slunk back to uh, camp where he stayed for about a week and then got restless and decided he was going to strike out on his own along with uh, a few of the other guys from the original party okay Besides Packer, there was, uh, and I love some of the names of these old-timey prospector guys, Frank Reddy Miller, George California Noon. Why do they all have nicknames? Shannon Wilson Bell, James Humphrey, uh, and Israel Swan. The leader of the of the outfit, Bob McGrew, actually uh, went with them at first. He mm-hmm. tried to help them. He was going to guide them out. He only got so far because the snow was so bad, the horses couldn't go any further. So they unloaded the provisions from the horses, and McGrew went back to uh, to camp. Now, what happened after that is unclear. So did McGrew head back to camp with the horses? Yes. And then other people... He left the provisions, Stay. yeah, with okay. the other guys, and um, McGrew said, yeah, good luck to you, bye-bye. And again, that was February 9th. They hear nothing from any of these guys for months until April 16th. 
Packer arrives at the Los Pinos Indian Agency near, near Gunnison, Colorado. He runs into uh, one of the former group that had made it already, Preston Nutter. Uh, and he said, hey, what happened to uh, the rest of the party? Packer claimed that uh, he had, quote, got his feet wet and frozen and the others had abandoned him. He claimed he was broke and he had to sell his Winchester rifle uh, to a Major Downer. That's the guy's name, Major Downer. Yeah, I know him. Who was a justice of the peace and he he sold his rifle, he said, for 10 bucks. So Packer stays at the agency for a, a short time. Then he wanted to return to Pennsylvania and accompanied Nutter and two other members of McGrew's original group to Sawatch where he could buy supplies. Now, during the course of the journey, I guess Nutter saw that Packer had in his possession a skinning knife that had belonged to uh, Frank Reddy Miller. Okay. And so he began to have doubts about Packer's story about being abandoned by these guys. So they reach Sawatch, Colorado. Packer gets a room at a place called Dolan Saloon. Now, Larry Dolan was the guy who owned the place. He claimed that that Packer was throwing money around like it was there was no tomorrow. Like he spent over a hundred dollars during his stay. Wow! And this is 1874. Yeah. He even offered to lend the saloon owner 300 bucks. He spent 78 dollars in Otto Mears General Store. Uh, Nutter and other members of McGrew's original party became very suspicious of Packer. And threatened to hang him. General Adams, who was the head of the Los Pinos Indian Agency, stepped in just in time to save Packer. Now, in the meantime, they went through his belongings and they found strips of what appeared to be human flesh. Yeah, he brought along a snack for the journey. Sure. Mm, Allegedly. Allegedly. After being interrogated by General Adams, uh, Packer signed his first confession, which said, quote, Old man Swan died first and was eaten by the five other persons about 10 days out of camp. Mm -hmm. Four or five days afterwards, Humphreys died and was also eaten. He had about $133. I found the pocketbook and took the money. Sometime afterwards, while I was carrying wood, the butcher was killed, as the other two told me accidentally. And he was also eaten. Bell shot California with uh, Swan's gun and killed Bell shot him. I covered up the remains and took a large piece along, then traveling 14 days into the agency. Bell wanted to kill me with his rifle, struck a tree, broke his gun. So what he's claiming is, okay, yeah, I've got their money. I've got part of their buttocks in my saddlebag Mm -hmm. for a snack, but it was all an accident, except for the buttocks in my saddlebag um, for a snack part. But we had to eat them because we were starving. Right. So General Adams believed that if Packer were telling the truth, he would have no problem leading the party to the original campsite. And Packer originally consented to lead the party, but after claiming to be lost and then rushing Constable Herman Lauder with a knife, he was jailed in Sawatch. The jail at the time was just like a log cabin, so it was pretty easy for him to escape. Oh, no. Somebody gave him some some keys to take the irons off and gave him some supplies, and he disappeared (gasps) and was gone for nine years. Why did someone assist him in his escape? No idea. On March 11th in 1883, Packer was discovered by, here's another great name, Jean Frenchy Cabazon, 
Frenchie Cabazon found him in Wyoming under the uh, living under the alias of John Schwartz, uh, who was one of the original members of the Utah Mining Party that stayed at uh, Chief Ure's camp during the winter of 74. Cabazon reported Packer to the local sheriff who arrested him and then contacted that General Adams guy again. Adams persuaded uh, Packer to to make a second confession which he signed on the 16th of March. Instead of claiming that the men gradually killed each other to survive, now he claimed that uh, Shannon Bell had killed the others while Packer was out scouting. Why would his story change to that? Like, how is that? I mean, in what way would that first story have benefited him if the second story was true, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. So to make sense of it, on, on April 6th, the trial began at Lake City, Colorado. And seven days later, Packer was found guilty of premeditated murder. He was sentenced to death by hanging. Uh, according to a local newspaper, the presiding judge, M.B. Jerry, said, and I'm quoting from the old newspaper article, and this is how it is written. Okay. I'm going to add a little voice to it, though. Oh, good. Stand up, you voracious man-eating son of a bitch, and receive your sentence. When you came to Hinsdale County, there was seven Democrats. But you, you at five of them, goddammit. I sentence you to be hanged by the neck till you're dead, 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 as a warning. Again, reducing the Democratic population of this county. Packer, you Republican cannibal, I'd sentence you to hell, but the statutes forbid it. However, this is what really was said according to court records. Okay. (laughs) Alfred Packer, the judgment of this court is that you be removed from hence to the jail of Hinsdale County and there confined until the 19th day of May, 1883. And that on said 19th day of May, you will be taken from thence by the sheriff of Hinsdale County to a place of execution prepared for this purpose at some point within the corporate limits of the town of Lake City in the said county of Hinsdale. And between the hours of 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. of said day, you then and there by said sheriff be hung by the neck until you are dead, dead, dead. And may God have mercy on your soul. So it was fake news back then. Sure. And obviously it was very divisive. It was What's with the party talk there? Yeah, I Come know. On. I know. Let's keep it civil. In 1885, the sentence was reversed by the Colorado Supreme Court as being passed on ex post facto law. In other words, the law had changed since then, so they let him go. I don't know what law it was. Because I think murder should probably be... Oh, that's another thing, too. He was sentenced for murder, not for cannibalism, because cannibalism was legal. And by illegal, you just mean not illegal. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean... Yeah. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. So his sentence was changed from death by hanging to being convicted of uh, five counts of manslaughter and then sentenced to 40 years, eight years for each count at another trial in Gunnison. Uh, At the time, this was the longest custodial sentence in U.S. history. Oh, wow. Then on June 19th of 1899, Packer's sentence was upheld by the Colorado Supreme Court. However, he was paroled on February 8th of 1901. Packer went to work as a guard at the Denver Post. Uh, He died in Deer Creek, Jefferson County, Colorado, reputedly of uh, dementia. He was 65 when he died. Packer (laughs) is widely rumored to have become vegetarian before his death. Interesting. Yeah. He was buried in Littleton, Colorado. His grave is marked with a veteran's tombstone listing his original regiment in 1862. Now, do... 
I mean, we can't know what actually happened. Well, in 1989, 115 years later, they exhumed the five bodies. And James E. Stars, then a uh, professor of law specializing in forensic science at George Washington University, Mm -hmm. uh, led the expedition. It was, uh, you know, a pretty exhaustive search to find the precise location of the remains. One of Starr's colleagues, Walter Birkby, said, I don't think there will ever be any way we can scientifically demonstrate cannibalism. Cannibalism, per se, is the ingestion of human flesh. So you'd have to have a picture of a guy actually eating. But they dug up all the bones. They sent them to the university. In 1994, David Bailey, curator of history at the Museum of Western Colorado, undertook an investigation to uh, turn up more conclusive results. In a collection of firearms owned by the museum, a Colt revolver had been reportedly found at the site of Packer's alleged crimes. So they did an exhaustive investigation into the pistol's background, turned up documents from the time of the trial. Upon careful study of Bell, he noticed a severe bullet wound in the pelvic area and that Bell's wallet had a bullet hole through it. Um, he, they also found like metal shards underneath the, his remains, which under an electron microscope, uh, they determined that they matched the spectrograph with uh, bullets remaining in what was indeed Packer's pistol. So while it appears certain that Bell was killed by a gunshot, uh, the question of whether or not it was murder remains unanswered. Mm-hmm. But they did find butcher marks on the bones where pieces had been cut away, and it looked like uh, many of them suffered from head trauma, maybe took a rifle butt to the head and then were carved up. So it's still kind of an unanswered uh, question at this point. But one thing is for sure, uh, human flesh was consumed during this uh, this little camping excursion. Well, yeah, I mean, he took some to go. I, I think it's weird, um, and maybe maybe I'm the weird one, but I just think it's bizarre how much emphasis is put on cannibalism when, you know, having eating a dead body is not as bad as killing someone, in my opinion. Like, you're, they're already dead, man. Sure. You're just eating them. Right. Whatever. Says the vegetarian and taking ancestor someone. of cannibals. I'm not an ancestor of cannibals. But taking someone's life. But then there's it's always this thing. It's like for some reason it, it cannibalism carries with it this idea that it's like so awful. And it's like, yeah, but I mean, he killed a dude either way. So, meh. Well, here's an update to the story. There is now a restaurant in Colorado called Alfred Packer's Grill. Oh, my goodness. Yep. It celebrates the legend of the alleged cannibal in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way, which ironically is one of the menu options. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Jokes. I love it when you do voices. (laughs) I ain't scared. Hey. Um, Not a lot of voices in this next story. Uh, that we are going to delve in. We're going to South America this time, and it's not good. Oh, I know what you're asking. You're asking, what is the texture like when you eat human flesh? Well, the answer, according to one man, is it's a lot like biting into a pear. I mean, I would imagine, like, not a ripe pear. It doesn't specify how ripe the pear needs to be to mimic the uh, texture of uh, human flesh, but according to Durangel Vargas, who is the Hannibal Lecter of the Andes. That's what it's like. Oh my goodness. And that was what I was thinking. Thank you for clarifying. Like a pair. He apparently uh, not only murdered people, mm-hmm. but uh, cooked and ate them and did it for years. Oh, so cooked human flesh. 
is like pear like yes okay uh, not raw human flesh okay that's where i was confused okay okay right. i'm glad okay. i'm glad oh. we got that covered because raw way. human flesh that's barbaric i just thought rubbery well he's from venezuela and uh apparently he had a rough childhood sure his uh parents were a member of some liberation army that worked with guerrillas patrolling the uh, colombia venezuela border mm-hmm. And at a very young age, he was taken along in these very violent type of operations. And those guys, the gorillas, were convinced he was possessed by evil demons even then. As he got older, Vargas, uh, I guess, drifted into the city of San Cristobal. San Cristobal. No, you're doing great. Okay, thank you. Where he lived under a bridge for many years with lots of other uh, transients. Most of the uh, other guys just kind of moved on over the years, but not him. He stayed there. It was his favorite bridge. But after a while, he was picked up by local police uh, several times on various charges, vagrancy, petty theft, that sort of thing. But then a tragedy struck. He murdered another homeless guy and ate him, and they put him in jail for that. Apparently, they frown on that in, in Venezuela. He was in not prison, but a uh, mental health institute. Okay. And it gets a little foggy here. We're not sure if he was released or if he escaped, oh. but he got out. And for quite a few years, he, uh, he lived uh, his life undetected and uh, just under the radar, more or less. And during a two-year period between uh, 1997 and 1999, Fargus was apparently pretty busy. He was murdering and eating people that he found in the park. Um, despite efforts to hide the bodies, evidence of the crimes were found by police. I guess some kids had found some bones along the riverside and they called authorities and they started poking around. They found a lot of bones and heads and hands and things like that. Stuff that he didn't find appetizing. Sure. That he left behind. And kudos to those children for calling the authorities. If you see something, say something. They thought for a while that it was a burial ground for uh, drug deals that have gone bad. They were operating under that assumption for some time. Mm. Further investigation, uh, they found out that these people had all been reported missing for some time. And then they started finding like telltale signs of butchering, you know, on the bones sure. and, and that sort of thing. So they started uh, digging into... Uh, who lived in the area. And that soon led to Vargas because, well, he had already killed a guy and eaten him mm-hmm. and been put away for it. So they thought they'd start there. So they went to his little hut that he had and they found all kinds of containers with human flesh body parts. Like refrigerated? No, he didn't have a fridge. Oh. So he would just keep it, you know, as long as he could. Mm-hmm. And then he'd go kill somebody else because he didn't have a fridge. Oh, sure. But how long can you keep, like, how long can, how, it, you know, that's not important. Go well, ahead. He would season it, I guess, and try to keep it longer. Oh, yeah. Well, I, okay. Yeah. But, but he like averaged. salted meat? Like a weird beef jerky, if you will. But that's why he ended up killing two guys a week on average, because the meat would go bad before he could eat it. So he would just, you know, throw it out and go kill somebody yes. else. It's like back in the day when they went on long shippy business and they would um, bring meats with them, but they would also bring a couple of live cows so that that way they could eat their meats and then they would have live cows to slaughter yeah. uh, and it, and their, their meat system would last them longer. And so they find this guy and he doesn't even deny it. They, they come up to him and they, they arrest him. He doesn't say, I didn't do it. He doesn't say, hey, you got the wrong guy. He says, quote, human meat is nice. 
but I like eating all kinds of meat. Dogs, cats, lizards. I buried the heads and feet and threw the other bones in the river. I also stored meat in containers. The heart and the liver must be spiced up. If I was hungry, I used to kill men, never women, because they do no harm. Men taste like barbecue. Women, too sweet. They taste like flowers. So they said, yeah, I think we got our man. Captain? <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got a uh, guy here, and he's got a uh, person stuck in his teeth. Over. Do they still say over? You know, I don't know. Vargas apparently targeted male and healthy passersby, uh, such as athletes and laborers. Um, That's what you get for jogging. Jogging will kill you <laughs> and get you eaten. <laughs> If the hunting was bad, he would uh, he would go after drunkards. He avoided killing women and children, and he also avoided fat people because he says it would raise his cholesterol level. Is that how that works? <laughs> I don't know, hmm. but apparently he was a diet conscious cannibal. See, I've got a friend who's like a nutritional expert, mm -hmm. and I really like to get in touch with her and have. I, I just have some questions. He also wouldn't eat old people because he thought the flesh was contaminated. And that's With old? Yeah, that's probably true, though. You yeah. know, years and years of being exposed to uh, chemicals and that oh, sort sure. of thing. Oh, sure. Bus fumes. Sure. That kind of thing. Now, he would, uh, he would hunt them just like you would an animal. He, uh, he would hunt them with spears. He had a <sighs> spear that he made out of a tube. And he would spear his victims and then, and then finish them off with rocks and then uh, dismember them and cannibalize them. Wait a minute. Wait one minute. Yeah. I, I just figured out what you meant earlier today when you said this week's episode's juicy. <laughs> <laughs> that was a private joke for you. I love it. He says, Vargas said that his favorite part to eat was uh, the muscle from the thighs and the calves. I get that. That makes sense. Those were his, quote, personal favorites. But he also said he makes a delicious stew out of tongues. And uh, he used to uh, remove people's eyes and include them in his soup. Kind of like a bay leaf. Just yeah. For just, flavor. Just to give it a nice little zing. <laughs> That's awful. That's awful. Body parts that he did not consume. He, uh, he again, he would bury them along the river. Mm. It's like a compost pile. He said he would spear them, then he'd cut their head off and it would make him feel happy. And then he would go back and dig a hole and bury what was left. So he spoke Spanish, right? Yeah, he spoke Spanish. So this is just awkwardly translated. It is, um, <laughs> but you get the general idea. You do. This was a bad man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds like the way a child would say something. And then I cut his head off and it made me feel happy. He also said at one point that um, his neighbor Manuel was a really nice guy and all the people in the neighborhood would always talk about what a good person Manuel was. So he thought, well, if he's a good person, this is what he said. He said, I thought if Manuel is a good person, then he probably tastes good. So he killed Manuel and he chopped the meat up and he put it in empanadas and then he served them to all of his neighbors. They didn't know. And he said, they just love my empanadas. They loved them. They said that the stuffing was delicious. But in fact, it was Manuel. It was Manuel empanadas. It was Manuel empanadas. That's why you only do cheese. Only do cheese empanadas. So he gets arrested, obviously, goes to prison. He's been there, you know, since 1999. Oh, he's still alive? Not only is he still alive, uh, in 2016, apparently um, he killed an inmate and ate him in prison. How do you have time for that? 
Yeah, I hope he's not like one of the, the cooks in the clink. They say if you want to dispose of bodies while working in a prison, you should work in the laundry. But maybe in his case, it would be the kitchen. How awkward did it sound when I used the word clink? So two inmates went missing in, in the prison and uh, they did an investigation and then they had to go and tell the families of uh, two inmates. You know, we've got some bad news. Mm. Uh, we probably shouldn't have uh, put them in the same cell with this guy because uh, he killed and ate them. And then he put all their intestines and stuff in pipes so that they wouldn't find them. And he cooked them up and he served them with rice to rival gang members. Who didn't know what they were eating? Oh, I'm, I'm really surprised that they would eat anything that he served them. That just seems silly. They were two of their companions. Yeah. 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 That's no good. No, it's just bad form. No. So it, it seems that maybe, maybe, you know, rugged childhood led to some, some issues that he was working through. And he then he was a transient. And so maybe there were some rough conditions and maybe he killed someone uh, out of just that the nature of be, living under a bridge. I don't know. Sure. And then he was like, well, hey, I'm hungry. Might as well eat him. And then it was like, hey, this works out okay for me. I'm going to continue this behavior. What would the, the slaughtering and the and the eating? And then and then he discovered, you know what's even better is feeding people this business. And it seems like he's kind of evolved throughout yeah, the years. Yeah. Like this is this is where I get my jollies is feeding you other people. Up, 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 up. He actually commented on that in an interview. Mm. He said that he's just doing what the church tells him to do, which is to um, share his bread. But by bread, he means Manuel. Yeah, he his means neighbor. Manuel meat. Manuel meat. Manuel meaches. They should do like a cannibal version of Chopped on the Food Network. Here's our contestant today, Durangel Vargas. Here are your ingredients. Ice cream, olives, and hobo ass. 30 minutes on the clock. I hate it when they give me the ass. It's so tough. I'm right in my element because uh, I've uh, served a lot of hobo ass in in my uh, experience. I used to kill them in a park and make stew out of it. So I'm feeling pretty confident right now. <laughs> Chopped, the cannibal version. <laughs> oh, now I want to watch Chopped. So anyway, there you go. He's locked up, but apparently the only people that aren't safe are his uh, cellmates who end up in a stew or, or a tasty rice dish. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. 
Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Well, the potatoes have been peeled. Um, we are currently boiling them. We're making mashed potatoes, a little mash on Thanksgiving. Uh, you are going to make me an apple pie, too. Yes. The one thing that I was really sad about not being able to find at the grocery store were those little tiny baby onions. I know. I love making the little tiny baby onions, and I couldn't find any. So instead, I got parsnip. I don't know how that relates, but... <laughs> well, enjoy your parsnip. I'll, I'll stick with the mashed potatoes. What's next on the menu of uh, cannibal stories? Well, you know, Florida has to be represented <laughs> when we're talking about people doing terrible things. So here we go. On the night of August 15th, 2016, Martin County Sheriff's Office deputies, now this is in Florida, used a taser and a police dog to try to subdue Austin Haroff when they found him at a crime scene covered in blood. And even though they used a taser and a police dog, it took several tries to apprehend him. Deputies said on the way to the hospital, Haroff had told the deputies that he, quote, ate something bad. Was it someone's face? When he was asked what he ate, he said humans. It began earlier in the evening. Oh, Florida. 19-year-old college student, Haruf, was having dinner with his parents at Duffy's Sports Grill. That's a restaurant in Jupiter, Florida. Reports state that the service at their particular restaurant was a bit slow that night, and the longer that they waited, the more agitated Austin became. Witnesses said that uh, he became so upset that he stormed out of the restaurant and left on foot. Hanger. I've been there. <laughs> yes. Now, it was a warm night, and in a nearby neighborhood, Michelle Mission sat in, in her garage with the door open, enjoying the quiet evening, just hanging out, watching the neighbors go by. I used to do that all the time when I lived in Florida. I think that that's a popular thing to do. You just sit in the garage with the door open, have a cocktail, and just talk to people when they're walking by. Her partner, John Stevens, was... <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> I just pictured, like, is that something I would enjoy? I don't know. And then I thought about, like, how I would enjoy it. And yes, I would ha be in the garage with a cocktail. And, uh, and then when neighbors would walk by, if they acknowledged me in any way, just close the garage door <laughs> with a clicker. <laughs> just slowly. <laughs> so Michelle's partner, John Stevens, at this point, was just returning from walking the dog. At this point, Austin wandered into their neighborhood and down their street, Southeast Kokomo Lane, which is just north of the Palm Beach uh, County border. He quietly walked up to the garage without any provocation or indication that anything was wrong. He took out a switchblade and he stabbed them um, and beat them to death. What? Yeah. This is awful. A neighbor witnessed the attack, called 911, and then tried to intervene, and he was stabbed No, as well. Oh he he survived. Okay. He survived. I'm assuming the dog's fine, um, but Michelle and John, dead. When the police arrived, they found Austin naked, ripping away chunks of the couple's flesh and eating it. 
He was growling and grunting and making animal noises. Repeated use of the stun guns and a police dog could not sway him. And uh, finally, three officers had to pull the man off the bodies by force. Oh, my gosh. Was he on drugs? Well, that was one of the first things everybody thought, of course. When you consider that uh, Austin, before the bizarre crime, was... A model student seemed to have everything pretty much figured out. Mm -hmm. In fact, earlier that evening, he was hanging out with some of his uh, frat brothers just before joining his parents for dinner. Everything seemed normal. There was no indication that evening that anything was wrong, according to the people that he was hanging out just before this attack. Except for the hanger. Except for the hanger. The first thing everybody thought of, like you did, was drugs. But his toxicology report came back clean so Um, so they did a second toxicology panel in fact it was done by the fbi because they wanted to test for synthetic drugs that were still just pretty new like bath salts bath salts i was going to say right around that time you were hearing a lot of that kind of story unfortunately the results came back negative there were no synthetic drugs or designer drugs in a system there was only a small trace of marijuana yeah that's not no that's not weed behavior no no so they took him to saint mary's medical center in west palm beach he was there for several weeks he was charged with two counts of first degree murder in their deaths also charged with the attempted murder of jeff fisher that was the neighbor Mm -hmm. that tried to intervene so what the hell was this all about I'm confused, but also uh, I think that it needs to be said that neighbor trying to intervene and help his neighbors is sadly something that needs to be acknowledged and commended because so often we just turn our heads to things happening to other people or we assume that somebody else is going to deal with it or that it's not your business or right and jeff launched right over there put put his own life at risk and and did a thing it's like mr rogers says in times of disaster look for the helpers yeah so what what the hell is this all about like for real what the hell At the time, and you might remember this, initially they were saying, yeah, it's probably bath salts. And they compared this attack to like a zombie attack. Right, yeah. Because he was like on top of these people he killed and he was eating their faces. Well, it obviously wasn't a zombie attack, but it may have been a little bit closer to a werewolf attack. Let me explain. Yes, please. In a 38-page mental health report, released by the Martin County State Attorney's Office at the end of March of this year, 2020, Dr. Philip Resnick said, Haroff believed he wasn't human when he was found biting, you know, this guy's face off on the 15th of August, 2016. He believed he was, quote, half dog, half man that August night. Yeah, he thought he was half dog, half man. Did he express this to the tasing officers or was he used? I mean, because you said he was like just growling. No, he he was not responsive until they got him in the cruiser and they were taking him. And he said he ate something bad. He ate ate humans. Okay. so I did a little research thinking, how cool would it have been if uh, on August 15th, it was a full moon? So I, I went back and I checked, and it wasn't. Um, the also, mo- still not cool. People died. Well, that's that's true. That's true. But it would have been cool if it proved that werewolves were real, and I was the one who discovered it. The moon was waxing gibbous. Oh, jeez. However, it would be full on the 18th. 
three days later. According to some werewolf folklore, the full moon is when they are werewolves are the strongest, but can actually transform during the waxing phase, which is three to six days around the new moon, three days on each side of the, uh-huh. of the new moon. So, uh-huh. Uh-huh. so technically it could be a werewolf, but probably not in this case. But I thought it would be cool if, if it was a full moon. And Again, not cool. People died. Yeah, well, yeah. According to theledger.com, Martin County Sheriff's deputies said they found Harriff on top of Stephen, spiting his face and making the growling noises when they arrived at the home. Quote, the fact that Mr. Harriff persisted in biting the male victim in the presence of police officers, this is according to the uh, psychological exam, in spite of threats of being shot, being tased and receiving multiple kicks to the head suggests that Mr. Harriff was actively psychotic, Resnick wrote. He said, in his opinion, he thought the kid suffered from severe mental disease, in particular bipolar disorder in acute manic episodes with psychotic features. On the 15th of 2016, the day of the attack, Haruf had suffered from, quote, clinical lycanthropy delusions. Lycan. Yes. Clinical lycanthropy is the rare occurrence when an individual believes they are an animal other than a human. It's most often associated with a wolf. Mm -hmm. Those who have studied cases of the delusion say it's often connected to existing medical disorders like schizophrenia. Um, In his report, Resnick said Harif had the delusion that he could run super fast because he was half man, half dog. He believed that other dogs' hair was attaching to his face. He also said he considered the possibility that Harif was faking his symptoms in an attempt to get out of the first or the two first degree murder charges, as well as the attempted murder charge, but concluded that he was not faking. He said journal entries, text messages, and several witnesses spoke spoke to Harif's uh, grandiose delusions in the days preceding the attack. According to his uh, findings, after interviews with family and friends, as well as a review of all those records. I wonder if dinner at Duffy's was a way for his parents to like sit him down and go like, hey, yeah. kid, well, uh, what's up? Yeah, right. what's, what's going on? What's, what's going on? Yeah. Resnick said that in addition to the lycanthropy delusions, Haruf also believed that there was an evil force or demon attempting to kill him. In the days leading up to the attack, family members reported that he was acting a bit strangely, saying he was invincible, that he had superpowers, he believed he was getting more powerful all the time, he was feeling like Jesus. Um, so yeah, maybe it was, uh, yeah, the dinner at Duffy's was a, an intervention of, of, of sorts. During his interview with Haruf, Resnick said that in the hours before the attack, Haruf, then 19, felt he had special powers like an animal who could run fast and jump high. He told Resnick he thought it was really cool to be half man, half dog, and felt connections to dogs around him. After family and friends noticed he was acting strangely, he said his father attempted to give him Xanax to calm him down, and he refused to take it. That evening, when he left the Duffy's Sports Grill in Jupiter, where he was eating with his family, or was about to, He told Resnick he thought he saw a dark figure with a white face and believed it to be evil. He said he ran from the area and found this lighted garage to ask for help. In the garage was Michon. Resnick said that uh, the kid had a patchy memory of what happened in the garage, but said when Michon screamed, he thought she was a witch and he was afraid that he would be harmed. That's when he attacked her. 
He told Resnick that after he stabbed her, he drank a bottle of alcohol or something in the garage and then saw the guy in the doorway with a dog. Now, John Stevens was out walking the dog, thinking he was just coming home, and then, you know, he saw this person attacking his partner in the garage. I think I stabbed him too, he told Resnick. Harriff said he didn't remember much else other than the dog and a man screaming at him. He said he doesn't remember even biting Stevens or any interaction with sheriff's deputies at all. The next thing he remembered, he was waking up in a hospital at St. Mary's Medical Center in West Palm, where he ended up staying there for several weeks. This is so sad because, I mean, it's very common for a lot of psychological disorders to really manifest it that that time frame like late teens early Mm -hmm. 20s it that's a very tumultuous period of time and it's so often that time that people discover that they are having to work through these these mental issues and his just seemed to i mean it sounds as though from what you said that it came on so quickly and it was really hard for anyone to have intervened. Yeah, it, it seemed like the red flags were just starting to go up. Right. It just seemed to have escalated so quickly. Yeah. And I think it's important at this point to point out that um, there is no study or indication anywhere that people with mental illness are more violent no. than people who do not suffer from those types of conditions. And so by telling the story, I don't want anybody to think that, um, you know, I'm saying that I'm not. According to Wikipedia, a study on lycanthropy from uh, the McLean Hospital reported on a series of cases and proposed some diagnostic criteria by which it could be recognized. Uh, Number one, a patient reports in a moment of lucidity or remembrance that they sometimes feel like an animal or have felt like one. Mm -hmm. Number two, a patient behaves in a manner that resembles animal behavior, for example, howling or growling or crawling around. According to these criteria, either a delusional belief in current or past transformations or behavior that suggests the person thinks of themselves as transformed is considered evidence of clinical lycanthropy. The authors note that although the condition seems to be an expression of psychosis, there's no specific diagnosis of mental or neurological illness associated with those consequences. So you can't say, well, you know, they suffer from bipolar and people who have who who suffer with bipolar are more susceptible to this. There's just nothing that 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 backs that up. Wow. It also seems that lycanthropy is not specific to human wolf transportation, although by far transformation. Oh, yeah. Though human wolf transportation would be cool. <laughs> not if you have allergies. <laughs> Human-to-wolf transformation, a wide variety of creatures have been reported as part of this shape-shifting experience. Well, we've talked very briefly about people who think they're cows. There have been documented cases of uh, people thinking they were a cat, a cow, a hyena, a bird, a tiger, frogs, even bees in some instances. In Japan, transformation into foxes and dogs was usual, and it seems to be some kind of a cultural link. Like in Japan, it's not wolves mm-hmm. as much as it is foxes, but they're all dogs, or, or the large percentage of them are, are canine in nature. Maybe something to do with your cultural stories, the, maybe, the history maybe. and meanings of you know certain animals yeah. in your culture. Yeah, I think that that probably has 
a lot to do with it. A 1989 case study described how one individual reported a serial transformation, experiencing a change from human to dog to horse and then cat before returning back to the reality of human existence after being treated. Wow. There are also reports of people who have experienced transformation into an animal um, listed only as, quote, unspecified. There is a case study of a psychiatric patient who had both clinical lycanthropy and cotard delusion at the same time. That, uh, that's more commonly referred to as walking corpse syndrome. That's right. We did an episode on that yeah. uh, a long time ago. So they go from thinking that they're um, an animal to thinking that they're a human, but they're dead and, and they're just an animated corpse. That's a shitty existence. Yeah, it is. Anyway, there you go. That's what I got for you. Not a happy story, but it's no. fascinating. It is. I mean, the the human brain is amazing and the things that it can do, both both creative and destructive, yeah. is, is incredible. And the things that it can make you believe are, are reality is, is um, it's really something. I did want to say if you are, uh, if you suspect that you are in crisis or if you think that someone else is in crisis, I know that texting is a lot easier than calling for a lot of people. I know I'm that way. Uh, you can text hello to 741741. And what is that? That is the crisis text hotline. That's good to know. It's a scary thing, not knowing that you can trust your brain. No, I know. The human brain is terrifying but amazing once again props to the neighbor for helping yeah cat's making uh she's rolling out the dough for the apple pie and probably she's going to want me to turn the volume down on this one this story really bothered you and understandably it bothered me too it's rough trigger warning i mean this the whole thing is a trigger warning. Yeah, it really should. Be. We should name the the episodes trigger warning for real. Part one and two. Here's the Jameson cannibal incident. Back in the 1880s, James S. Jameson. He was heir to the Jameson whiskey fortune. Oh, okay. He was the great great grandson of John Jameson, the guy who founded the whiskey uh, distillery in Ireland. Now, like many, many heirs to vast fortunes of the time, or just rich white guys in general, he fancied himself a bit of an adventurer. Mm-hmm. And bear in mind, this was the late 1800s. It was a period when British explorers would don their pith helmets and dash around the globe, exploring the far reaches of the earth that had not yet been documented by rich white guys. Um, right. But, well, it's like we were talking about with Squid Game and spoiler alert for Squid Game. Mm. But, um, you know, that whole idea of you have so much money that everything is boring because you've already done it before. So you, you've got to become an explorer in order to find things that interest you. Squid Game, though, uh Five stars. Yeah. On this week's segment of JG and Cat Recommend. Now, the Jameson dude, he wouldn't go adventuring and exploring on his own. So what they would do in those days is they would just tag along with more accomplished explorers on their expeditions. Okay. Just kind of buy their way on, pretty much. In 1888, Jameson joined the Emmond Pasha Relief Expedition. Uh, This particular expedition was headed by the famed explorer... Henley Morton Stanley. Uh, It was a trek across Central Africa, supposedly to bring supplies to Amin Pasha, the leader of the Ottoman province. Okay. 
in Sudan. Um, it had been cut off from its supply route by a revolt that was taking place at that time. Of course, there was an, an ulterior motive for this expedition, like, like many, and that was to annex more land for the Belgian Free State Colony uh, in the Congo. There are several sources of this particular incident. They come from Jameson's very own diary, from his wife, and from a translator who was on the trip. I'm sorry, did I just hear your fingers crack as you were listing off one, two, and three? Yes, yes, you did. Trigger warning, finger cracks. Now, these three different accounts vary in minor details, but they all agree on the major occurrences. Okay. Jameson wrote in his diary, quote, The last six months have been the most miserable and useless I have ever spent anywhere. Ever since my childhood, I've dreamed of doing something good in this world and making a name which was more than just an idle one. So in June of 1888, the expedition had reached Ribakiba, which was a trading post deep in the Congo, in the area that was known for its cannibal population. Oh, no. Now, Jameson was in command of the rear column. He'd gotten to know a guy named Tipu Tip, who was a local fixer, but he was more well-known as a slave trader in the area. The rear column? I don't understand what that means. Of the uh, expedition. He was bringing up the rear. Okay. <laughs> He was just in the back. He was in the back. Got it. But he was in charge. Oh, okay. He was in charge of the back. (laughs) Is that just something that they did for the rich folk? I think so, yeah. Yeah, you're the boss, but you're the boss back there. (laughs) An eyewitness account comes from Asad Faran, who was a Sudanese translator on the expedition. He's the one that brings this story to light. If it hadn't been for him, this trip may never have been found out or discovered by the outside world. What occurred on it, anyway. When Stanley returned to check on the rear column, Ferran told him of the account and the events. He also later recounted them in an affidavit that was published in the New York Times. What events? Here we go. Obviously, the the expedition had to have been a large party if he had to, like, travel back in order to yes. check in on the... Okay, I'm so sure. it wasn't like, you know, a party of 10 and no, he was, was just the last person in line. It was like a... Like a caravan. A caravan or a uh, military squadron. Okay, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. According to Ferran, Jameson told Tipu Tip, the slave trader... He was interested in seeing cannibalism firsthand. Oof. He said that uh, Tipu then proceeded to locate and talk to the chiefs of the village, telling them of Jameson's interest in witnessing cannibalism. They then produced a 10-year-old slave girl. No. According to uh, the eyewitness account, Jameson paid the slave trader six handkerchiefs for this girl. What? The translator then went on to say that the chiefs told their villagers, quote, this is a present from the white man who wishes to see her eaten. What? No. Okay, you didn't trigger warning a child being eaten. Uh, yeah. That is terrible. Oh. Now, this is where it gets really, really really disturbing. The I account, mean, I'm pretty disturbed. Well, the account is, it goes into great detail. Oh, please don't. No, I'm not going to. Okay. Ferran said, quote, the girl was tied to a tree. Whoa, you're getting into detail. Natives sharpened their knives all the while, 
And then it goes into very descriptive move by move almost oh. of what took place. And I, I can't bring myself to read it out loud. It was disturbing enough to scan over it. If you would like to uh, read the uh, official account of what happened, uh, it's pretty easy to find on the interwebbles. The one thing I will share from his recounting of the event is that uh, the girl never screamed throughout the ordeal, he said. Quote, the most extraordinary thing was the girl never uttered a sound nor struggled until she fell. Now, I'm sorry, didn't earlier he wrote in his journal that he wanted to be someone who left something good in this world? Was 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 viewing a child being eaten part of that goodness that well, he was spreading about? Clearly that's this not is some bullshit. goodness. Um, now, he claims that he thought it was all a joke. Way to just deny that you had any responsibility in this. The eyewitness from the translator said in his testimony, quote, Jameson, in the meantime, would make sketches of the horrible scenes. Oh. Jameson went to his tent where he finished his sketches in watercolor. Uh, now, Jameson, as I mentioned, he said he didn't realize it was happening. In Jameson's own diary, he does admit to making the sketches, though. He said, quote, when I went home, I tried to make small sketches of the scene while it was still fresh in my memory. Uh, in his diary, though, he tried to play it off as though it was just something that he, he didn't believe it was it was really going to happen. It was it was a joke. He couldn't even imagine that villagers would actually kill and, and eat a 10 year old girl. Well, then what was the point of buying her for six handkerchiefs? OK, this is what how he explained it to his wife in a letter. He said it was all a misunderstanding. He apparently said to the slave trader he didn't believe that the villagers were cannibals. The slave trader said, give me a piece of cloth and you'll see. He then said, quote, I sent my boy for six handkerchiefs, thinking it was all a joke and that they were not in earnest. But presently a man appeared leading a young girl of about 10 years old by the hand. Now, at any point during this haha funny joke time, did he go, oh, wait, I'm, I'm sorry, translator, I didn't. No, please don't murder her. Yeah, no. No, I, probably. I I'm just going to sketch. He, he's going to sit here and sketch. It'll be fine. He said, I, I then witnessed the most horrible, sickening sight mm -hmm. I am ever likely to see in my life. As for the sketches, he said that he was just trying to make the best of a bad lot. Well, you know, it's already done. I, might as I well, do not care for this man. I might as well draw it up. Now, that does seem kind of strange mm. that he would pay handkerchiefs of a specific amount. Probably it had to be negotiated. And that he went on to sketch the events when he thought it was he was just going along with a joke. His wife took the same position as him, though, saying that, that he never believed that they would actually go through with it. He was calling their bluff or something. I don't know. Jameson never faced justice for this. He died shortly after the accusations were made from a fever that he contracted. Now, regardless of whether he thought it was a joke or not, this was not the kind of conduct the Jameson family wanted to be associated with. No. So with the assistance of high-level members of the Belgian government, they were able to kind of hush it up, at least most of what happened. But because of these atrocities, these types of expeditions came to an end. Uh, you could no longer just buy your way on to a, um, an expedition just for the adventure of it. In fact, all non-scientific civilian expeditions to relatively undisturbed portions of Africa and the world were suspended because of this particular event. 
The military and the government would still conduct expeditions, but heirs of whiskey fortunes couldn't go. Oh, well, that's something, I guess. So, and, and applause to Assad for speaking up and saying, hey, I, I saw this happen and it didn't seem right to me. Yeah. Because probably he knew that the Jameson family was powerful and obviously he knew that this guy was rich and uh, he might have seen repercussions for saying what he saw. I'm sure that crossed his mind. And uh, the fact that he did go to the papers with it Mm -hmm. and did sign an affidavit, it wasn't just Barry. Yeah, yeah, we warned you. Uh, Wow. Wow. In listening back to some of these, I was thinking to myself, okay, by themselves, they're a little more tolerable. But Mm -hmm. when you stack five or ten cannibalism stories in a row. Yeah. 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 It's a lot. It's a lot. The thing that about me, like I don't we've talked about this before is I don't mind the cannibalism so much. It's the murder that comes first. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah, no, I get it. And uh Ooh, it's yeah. not oft that no. you find a nice cannibalism story without the murder. So thanks to that foot taco guy. Yeah, we appreciate that. Um, now we're going to go to volume two. And again, same thing. We're going to start out with a story that's, well, it's disturbing, mm-hmm. but it's going to progressively get worse. And we've got to peel some vegetables for yeah, the right. tofurkey. Right. So we're going to get to that. Right. So we'll see you. Volume two of the Cat and Jethro cannibal collection until we return from chopping carrots keep flying that freak flag and fly it proudly you beautiful freak and so let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories stories of the strange the bizarre the unexpected we wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2022 All rights reserved My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts. love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts